If you have a Bible, I'm going to just jump right in. If you have a Bible, we're going to be in 1 Peter chapter 1. Uh, if you have a phone, you can pull it up on your phone. Uh, as well as all the verses we read today will be on the screen behind me. If you're looking in your Bible for 1 Peter, uh, 1 Peter is on the right side of your Bible. In fact, it's the seventh book from the end. So if you go to the far end of your Bible and turn back a few pages, you'll probably find the book of 1 Peter. Uh, while you're turning there, I thought I would tell you a little bit of a story. Uh, my son Cameron is 16 years old. And one of the things I love about my son is he's always on his phone watching Netflix. Anybody else have a teenager that knows what that's like? My son loves Netflix. He loves watching these superhero shows. Maybe you've seen some of these like Arrow and, and The Flash and, and Supergirl. And he loves, he loves the superhero thing. Well, and those are good shows. I mean, if you like those, more power to you. But me, I'm more original. And so I grew up and I watched the original Superman with Christopher Reeves, right? Like that is legitimate right there. When I look at superheroes, I base every superhero on how they compare with Christopher Reeves and Christopher Reeve and Superman. Like it's just that nostalgic. I really need to bless him with that and broaden his horizons to some really good uh, superhero TV shows. But what I find fascinating about Christopher Reeves uh, is this is a guy who was a cultural icon of his day. He was very successful as an actor. Um, and what he used to do in his spare time, some of you know the story, he used to ride horses. And he would do, not just riding horses in the mountains, but he would do the jumping and the tricks and all sorts of things. And in 1995, he was out riding his horse, and he went to jump over a jump, and the horse bailed out. And he flew over the horse and landed head first and, and shattered his first and second vertebrae and immediately became paralyzed. He was a paraplegic. In fact, he woke up at the hospital a few days later. Remember, this is a guy that used to fly around the city of Metropolis. This is a guy that used to fight Lex Luthor, Lex Luthor and protect the city. And now he's a paraplegic. He has to rely on a ventilator to help him breathe. And he woke up in the hospital and he told his wife, he said, just, just let me go. Just let me die. Like, how can I go from that to this? Just let me go. Well, ultimately, he made it through that. He lived almost another 10 years as a paraplegic in this capacity. And one of the things that he said I think is very fascinating, I think is relevant for us today. Uh, this was what he was quoted as saying. He says, once you choose hope, anything is possible. Once you choose hope, anything is possible. And I, and I look at that statement, I begin to wonder, like, why would he say that? Like, here's Superman. Like, why would he make a statement like that? Like, it's true, but, but where does that come from? Now, maybe, maybe you're one of those people that have gone through a hard trial in life. And you look at that statement, and you know why he said that. You probably know the answer. Because when you and I, when we go through life, when we choose hope, when we choose hope, no matter what we go through in life, no matter what difficulty we have, no matter what circumstance we find ourselves, when we choose hope, we know that we can get through it. And it's when we begin to lose hope that life becomes completely unbearable. And we're in a scripture today that's going to look at that same idea. That as, as believers in Jesus Christ, as, as, as people who put their faith and trust in Jesus, 
The fact that he rose from the grave, this is what it means for us today. The fact that that, that tomb is empty today is, is that you and I, there's never going to be a trial or a difficulty or a suffering or a hardship that we're going to go through that we do not have hope. Because that tomb is empty. Because Jesus rose from the grave. So this morning, I asked you to turn your scripture to uh, the book of 1 Peter. A little bit about that book. This, this book is a letter that was written by Peter in 60 AD. This is 30 years after Jesus rose from the grave. He's writing this book to uh, a small church, a new church, a young church. A church that ex- is experiencing difficulty and, and persecution. They're going through a season of suffering. And Peter says, I'm going to write these guys a letter to remind them of the hope that they have because Jesus rose from the grave. I think that's a perfect thing for us to look at this morning, right? First Peter uh, chapter 1, verses 3 through 6. But I'm going to start in verse 6 to kind of give us a little bit of context about what's going on. Verse 6 says, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been, and here's a word I want you to see, I want you to underline in your Bible, um, you have been grieved by various trials. Peter is writing a letter to a church that they are grieved over various trials. We begin to, to think, uh, some of your translations, uh, they, they translate that word differently. Uh, the ESV is translated as, as grieved, but other verses just say it's distressed or, or overwhelmed, depending on what your Bible translation says. But the original word uh, in the Greek is, is a word by the name of uh, lepeo. And what that word means, it means to make sorrowful. It means that you are, are heavy laden. It means that you've got a burden that you just can't shake. It means that you are depressed. You're at the point where you're about to give up hope. When he's writing to this letter, he's saying these people are about to give up hope because of the difficulty in their life. You begin to wonder, like, what's going on in this church? Like, what would cause a young church, a growing church, to be this overwhelmed that these people are about to give up hope? And there's multiple answers for that. One of the things we know from history was that after Jesus died, the Roman Empire was in charge of the region that Jesus grew up in. And and for the next long time after Jesus rose from the grave, uh, the Roman Empire was known for persecuting Christians. They would kill you because you claim to be a Christian. And undoubtedly, these Christians are struggling through that. There's persecution. And, and that's one of the things that Peter's going to write about in this book. But it goes much beyond that. I mean, yes, there's persecution, but Peter's going to write to these people about a number of problems that they could be struggling through. He's going to write to them about dealing with marriage. Like, how do you deal with marriage? Specifically, how do you deal with it when you have a spouse who doesn't believe the same things as you? Peter's going to give them encouragement in that setting. Peter's going to write to them about how you handle working for a jerk. Any of you guys have a jerk that you work for? Do not raise your hand, Jacob. Heed, I am your boss, Okay. <laughs> How many of you ever had someone that you worked for and you're like, this guy's a jerk. Listen, Peter gives us insight to those Christians and to us about how you work in that situation. He addresses how you react when you and I are ridiculed for our faith. And I'm just going to tell you the secret, you react with love. He's going to address how to deal with sexual sin. How to deal with uh, pornography and adultery. 
He's going to address uh, Christians who have come to faith in Jesus and begun to, to backslide. You say, well, what's that Christianese term? To backslide means somebody who's placed their faith in Jesus and are, and are following after Jesus, but then they begin to go back to their old sinful way of life and their old way of doing things. Peter writes to them about backsliding. So we don't know exactly what the trial, what the specific trials this church is dealing with, but I imagine it's a number of these things. There's persecution, there's, there's marriage issues, there's, there's boss issues, there's all sorts of things going on. And I just want to pause for a second right here, and I want you to think about this. In, in, in a room this size of, of 150, 175 people of us here this morning, I imagine there's a couple of us in here today that say, Pastor, and that's, that's where I'm at right now. I'm in a season of, of lapeo. I've got these things that are bearing down on me that I become completely stressed. I'm grieving over the situation in my life because of what's going on. Most of us, we probably haven't experienced persecution, so to say, so to speak. We haven't gone through uh, having our life in danger because of our faith. But we can imagine what somebody's going through. We can imagine going through a hard situation and the feelings that they would feel. Feeling like, man, you know, God, where are you at? Man, God, why do you allow bad things to happen to me? Like, we can put ourselves in that situation and say, man, I know what that feels like. Some of us in here today, uh, some of us can look and we can point to, to like one big thing in our life. We can point to the one big thing and say, yes, that is why I have lapeo right now. That is the reason why I'm struggling that marriage that I feel is not going to work out no matter how hard I try. Maybe it's not that. Maybe it's I'm never going to find someone to be with. I'm always going to be alone. Maybe you're looking and saying, man, I'm never going to get out of this mountain of debt. I'm going to be buried under this for the rest of my life. Maybe, maybe you think that addiction that you're fighting is going to be a lifelong addiction that you're never going to be able to overcome. And you can point to your life to one specific issue that is bearing down on you, that is grieving you, that is causing you to lose hope. For others, uh, maybe there's not one big thing that you can point to. For others, maybe you say there's a bunch of little things that just all pile up and weigh down on me. That's, that's probably where I find myself today. I'm coming on the end of a very long season, a uh, busy season of life. And I'm, I'm physically exhausted. I'm emotionally exhausted. We have a busy season at church, and, and there's this weight that bears down on me. Then I've got these kids that are growing up, and these kids need me to grow and adapt and, and, and lead my kids in different stages of life, and that is a weight that bears down on me. I've got a wife who is beautiful and amazing, and I've got to love and cherish her. These are all weights that are on me. We've got a church that is growing. We've got all these things going on, and I'll be honest, I found myself the last few weeks laying in bed at night. Filled with anxiety. I can't sleep. I can't shut it off because I feel the weight of the world upon my shoulders. Not anything big. Just a bunch of these little things that I feel the weight of. Some of you are like me. Where you recognize all those little things that are piling up and, and weighing down on you. Causing you to begin to lose hope. Causing you to feel like, I don't know what to do. And I just, I'm going to just throw this out. I'm going to encourage you, you do not want to miss church next week because we're going to look at a scripture where Jesus actually teaches us how we deal and how we cope with anxiety 
and worry and stress. Like, I need that just as much as anybody. You don't want to miss that opportunity for Jesus to, to speak to us in that regard. Some of you know where I'm at, though. You know what it's like to have all those little things piling up on you. And I also recognize that there's someone here today, and you're like, man, I don't know what you're talking about. Life is awesome. Everything is awesome. And that's where you're at today. And listen, if that's a season you're in, man, I, I hate to be the bearer of bad news. I hate to break it to you. But life is not always going to be awesome. You might be in a good season, but we don't live on those mountaintop experiences. And here in our scripture today, Peter is going to instruct us on how we respond when we're in that season where we are experiencing that lapeo, when we're grieving, when we feel like we're going, we need to give up. There's something that he's going to tell us that we have to do in the middle of those trials. And here's, here's what he says in verse 6. He says, in this, and here's the key, you rejoice. In this, you rejoice, though now for a little while you have been grieved by various trials. Again, Peter's writing this letter to people that are weighed down with sorrow, that are wanting to give up hope. And, and this is what he says. He says, you have a reason to rejoice. And when he says rejoice, he doesn't mean just put a, a phony little fake smile on. Everything's awesome. Now, when he says rejoice, he means literally that you, you jump for joy. In this season of suffering, you, you celebrate, you throw a party, you go crazy in the middle of your trials. And I don't know about you, but I start reading this and I'm like, what the heck are you talking about? Peter, are you crazy? You want me to jump for joy even though I'm struggling? And even though I don't know if it's going to work out, even though I don't have any hope, you want me to rejoice and throw a party? And he's going to tell us why. He says this, he says, verse 6, in this you rejoice. In this, there is something that gives us a reason to rejoice. There's a reason that we can rejoice in the midst of a hard season of life. And here's what he is. Look back at verse 3. Verse 3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living, here's the key word, hope. To a living hope. And how does he do that? Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. This is what Peter's saying. In this, you rejoice. You jump for joy. You celebrate. Even though you are grieving. Even though you're, you're sorrow. Even though you're losing hope. You jump for joy. Because we have been born again to a living hope. And here's what that hope is. Here's what that hope is. That it is secured through Jesus Christ raising from the dead. That's what Peter tells us. In this, in the fact that Jesus rose from the grave, we are born again to a living hope. This is an April Fool's joke. That tomb is empty, literally. He walked out of that grave. He's alive today. And that is our living hope. Now, when we start looking at this and think, man, Peter, you're telling me to rejoice because I've, Jesus walked out of the grave and, and that gives me a hope in the middle of my difficulty? Listen, if anybody would have been qualified to tell us to do that, to tell us to rejoice in the middle of a difficult season of, of sorrow and shame and hardship, it would have been Peter. Peter, when you understand who Peter is in Scripture, Peter's the guy 
who always spoke before he thought. He was the guy who repeatedly said, Jesus, I got your back, bro. Like, we're brothers. Till death do us part. I got your back, homie. I'm never turning my back on you. Like, that was, that was Peter time and time and time again. But then when you read the account of Jesus' death, when Jesus needed him most, man, Peter was a guy that failed over and over and over again. In fact, in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus is going to go spend some time in prayer, and he, he begins to hit him what he's about to do. He recognizes, I'm about to be arrested and hung on a cross. And while I'm on the cross, all of the world's sin is put on my shoulders. And I'm going to pay that penalty. And I'm going to die. Begins to hit Jesus. And he says, Peter, listen, bro, I'm struggling. Would you pray for me? And Jesus goes off further into the garden. He sweats drops of blood because of the weight that's on him. And he prays that beautiful prayer. He prays, he prays, God, it's not my will, but your will be done. And he goes out, and what's Peter doing? Sleeping. Sleeping. Peter, wake up. Remember, I told you I needed you to pray. And you, you're sleeping? I guarantee you, Peter felt bad about that. Later on, I, I imagine there's some regret, some remorse that fills his heart. Later on, when the soldiers come to arrest Jesus, J- Jesus doesn't run away. He walks right up to them and says, here I am. And again, Peter's right there in the middle of that. And Peter's the guy who just spent the last three years with Jesus every day. Peter's the guy who heard Jesus say again and again and again, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Uh, And what does Peter do? They come to arrest Jesus. Peter draws a sword and chops off a guy's ear. And Jesus like, Peter, what are you doing? Remember that love your enemy thing? And Jesus picks up the guy's ear and puts it back on and heals him. Can you imagine the shame that he would have felt for that? Oh gosh, I blew it again, Jesus. Earlier that evening, Peter made one of those statements. He said, Jesus, I'm never going to betray you. And Jesus said, no, you are. This is what's going to happen. Before the rooster crows tonight, you're going to deny me three times. That's exactly what happened. Jesus is arrested. He's being led to uh, the cross. And Peter's following from a distance, trying to see what goes on. He's following from a distance. And somebody sees Peter and says, hey, 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 you're, you're one of Jesus' followers. And, and Peter says, no, I'm, uh, no, I'm not. Goes on a little further. And is like, no, I'm pretty sure. No, I'm pretty sure you're one of us. I've seen you before. And Peter goes, no, I don't know him. Goes on a little bit further. And the guy says, no, no, I know I've seen you with Jesus. And Peter just curses and says, blankety, blank, blank, I don't know that man. And at that moment, the rooster crows. And Jesus, the scripture says, Jesus turns his eyes and his eyes meet Peter. Can you imagine what he goes through? In fact, the scripture says, scripture says that he wept bitterly. This is like an ugly cry. This is like when you're at home by yourself watching a movie and you're like feeling the weight coming on and you just ugly cry, nobody's around. This was an ugly cry that Peter was doing. In fact, even after the resurrection, even after Jesus has risen from the grave, everybody's celebrating. Everybody's excited except for Peter. Peter's the guy who's racked with guilt, who's overcome with shame for how he failed his friend when he needed him most, for how he... uh, 
let Jesus down. And it says that Peter goes off to fish all night long and relive, relive the failures of the previous days. In the morning, Peter's out on the water in his boat. He's fishing. In the morning, he looks to the shore. He looks at the beach and he sees Jesus, the resurrected Jesus. He sees Jesus on the shore. And at that moment, it hit him like a brick in the face. Peter realized. Peter realized that he might have left Jesus. But Jesus never left him. And that's the truth that applies to us today. That we might have left Jesus, but he has never left you. You you might have walked away from Jesus, but he has never walked away from you. You you, you might have given up on Jesus, but this is the truth crashing in on Peter's heart. And this is the truth I want to crash in on your heart. That you might have walked away from Jesus, but he has never walked away from you. He's been faithful every day. And listen, when Peter sees Jesus on the shore, Peter realizes this and he jumps in the water and he starts swimming as fast as he can. And he crawls himself up to, to, to the beach. And it, by that time that he gets up there, Jesus has already cooked them breakfast. Like literally, you can read your Bible, John chapter 21. Jesus has breakfast cooked. And Peter and John, they, they eat breakfast and Jesus forgave him. And Jesus restored him. And Peter learned something that morning. That I want everyone else to know. That it doesn't matter how far you've fallen. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter how bad you failed. It doesn't matter how big the trial is in your life. It doesn't matter how dark the season you are in. Because Jesus rose from the grave, we are never again without hope. That's what Peter learned. That's what we need to learn today. And what what Peter says next in in our text, in our scripture today, is he says we have a living hope through the resurrection. And here's what he's going to do. He's going to give us a couple things that we can look forward to when we are walking in the middle of a trial or a difficult season. He says, uh, verse 3, according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again uh, to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And listen to this, verse 4, to an inheritance. Because of the resurrection, this is our hope. There is an inheritance that is kept imperishable and undefiled and unfading and, and kept in heaven for you, who by God's power is being guarded through faith for salvation ready to be revealed at the last time. This is why we can rejoice in the middle of a trial, in the middle of a difficulty. Listen, and it's not because Jesus is going to take those things away. The Bible never promises that we're not going to have difficulty. Jesus never promised that he's going to take all the bad things away. No, we rejoice not because all the bad things are going to be gone. We can rejoice because through the resurrection of Jesus, we have an inheritance waiting in heaven with your name on it. And that is what we look forward to, is that inheritance. Here's our hope. 
that, that one day we're going to die. We're going to breathe our final breath. And in that moment, if you've placed your faith and trust in Jesus, you're going to enter into the presence of God. And the good news is that you have an inheritance with your name written all over it that cannot be taken away from you. Now, I don't know about you, but when I read an inheritance, I start thinking about like some worldly possession on, on steroids, right? Like, I picture myself, uh, my inheritance is going to be like a Caribbean island, like my own Caribbean island. I don't have to share it with any of you. I've got my own Caribbean island. I've got this big castle on it with, with my initials etched in stone. I've got, I've got a, a, a boat to go fishing in. Like, I picture, like, this is what my inheritance is. But hope isn't in things. Hope is in something much greater. And here's what the inheritance that Jesus says is waiting for us in heaven. Verse, verse, start in verse 3 again. Blessed be God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope. Through the resurrection of Christ from the dead. To an inheritance that is imperishable. Undefiled. An unfading kept in heaven for you. Imperishable. There is an inheritance that is imperishable, that is undefiled, that cannot be destroyed. Listen, let me tell you what. He's not talking about a physical possession, a worldly possession. He's not talking about a castle on a Caribbean island. He's talking about us. He's talking about what we are going to be like. Let me just get a little bit theological with you this morning. See, what makes Jesus' resurrection from the dead special? Listen, it's not just that Jesus died and rose from the grave. That's not what makes his resurrection special. Other people have done that. In fact, you can read in the Bible and you can read about Lazarus. Lazarus with Jesus' friend. He was dead for four days. And God brought him back to life. Okay? That's what happened. Jesus is not unique because he was resurrected. But what makes Jesus different is all those other people that have been resurrected, all those other people that rose again, they eventually got old. They eventually got sick. And they died again. And this is why Jesus is probably the most important event in all of history. And what makes his resurrection so special is because he is the first person to die, to rise from the grave, and to never die again. Jesus rose from the grave imperishable, undefiled. He rose from the grave perfect. He forced open a door that had been locked ever since Adam died the very first man. That he met death, he fought death, he defeated death, and now everything is different because he did so. That he walked out of that grave, imperishable, never to die again. And listen, people, uh, Jesus is writing to this church that is losing hope, and he says, listen, this is your hope. That even though we're grieving because of hardships, even though the world is falling apart, even though we've got this struggling marriage, even though we've got this mountain of debt, even though we've got this sin addiction in our life, this is our hope that Jesus rose from the dead in perfect health, perfectly whole, imperishable, never to die again. And if we put our faith in Jesus, so will you. That there's going to come a day when we're going to breathe our last breath and we're going to rise and be in the presence of God and we're going to be perfectly healthy. 
We're going to be perfectly whole, imperishable. We will never die again. That is our, our inheritance in eternity in heaven. That is our hope. That is what we look forward to in the middle of our trials. That is why we can rejoice in our trials because of the resurrection of Jesus and what that means for you and I. See, those of us who put our faith and trust in Jesus, there's coming a day, there's coming a time, there's coming a place where we're no longer going to need wheelchairs. We no longer need glasses. We no longer are going to need nursing homes. There's coming a day where we're no longer going to need chemotherapy. There's coming a day where there's no more pain medications. There's no more Zoloft and Xanax. There's coming a day where there is no divorce. There is no bad backs. There is no wrinkles. There is no weight gain. There's coming a day where there is no CrossFit. Amen to that. <laughs> there's coming a day where there's no more fear. There's no more anxiety. There's no more pain. There's no more sadness. There's no more stress. There's no more tears. And that's what we look forward to. And that is what Peter is pointing to. In fact, Peter says we don't just look forward to it. We get the party started right here and right now. That even though we're struggling through things in this life for this little while, this is what's coming. An inheritance that is imperishable, unfading, never to be taken away from us again. I want to close with just a little bit of a story. Restoration Church, we planted the church five years ago. We planted our church with a desire that we would reflect the diversity of our city. We wanted to look like our city looks. Ethnically diverse, economically diverse, socially diverse. We thought when we get to heaven, the Bible says that people from every tribe, every nation, every tongue are going to come together and worship and praise Jesus together. And we thought, what if we planted a church that was like that? Where there was diversity. And it's a beautiful thing what God has done here. So we still got lots of work to do. We need every one of you to be a part of that. But that was our intent when we planted five years ago. One of the beautiful uh, parts of diversity that God has blessed us with is he's given us this incredible age diversity. We've got younger people here, and we've got not as young people here. It's beautiful, that kind of diversity. And one of the gifts that God has given Restoration Church is a couple named Dan and Joy Fitzgerald. Dan and Joy are in their 80s. They're coming to a season of life where their health begins to struggle. It becomes a little harder to get up in the morning. Not as free as they once were, dependent on other people. But they give me such an example of what it looks like for me to have a living hope. Dan and Joy aren't here today, but they give me permission to share this story. Joy and Dan, they went to Vancouver this last week because Joy had to have surgery to remove cancer. This is the third time that this cancer has come back. Third time in five years that she's had to go through this procedure to get rid of this, to try and get rid of this cancer that has just continued to haunt her time after time. They're at an age where going into surgery is tough. It's overwhelming. 
And I went to go and pray with them before they left. And I said, Joy, I'm worried. And Joy said, it's okay, it's a win-win situation. She said, if the surgery works, that's a win. Listen, pastor, if the surgery doesn't work, I get to meet my Savior. And that's a win. That's what it looks like for you and I to live with a living hope. That through Jesus, we can face cancer. Through Jesus, we can face bankruptcy. Through Jesus, we can face failing a class in school. Through Jesus, we can face addiction. Through Jesus, we can face rejection. Through Jesus, we can face anything. And we can still have hope knowing that there is an inheritance that is waiting for us that is imperishable, that is undefiled, that is unfading. And listen, that is life-changing. That is life-changing. And that's a result of when Jesus met death, when he defeated it by walking out of that grave, never to see it again. And that's the hope that I want to have in my life. That's the hope that I want you to have in your life. That no matter what you go through, there is a hope because of what Jesus has done.